Today's reading is from Isaiah chapter 40, which can be found on page 724 of the Church Bible. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, and rough ground shall become level. The rugged places are plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it out and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? 
Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens, who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Keep the passage open in front of you from Isaiah 40, so page 726, uh, if, you've, um, if you've closed it, 725 uh, and 726. We'll, I'll show you where we'll be in, in a few moments. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you that your word is eternal, and we pray, therefore, that as we come to your word, so you would teach us, open our eyes more to your greatness. And help us, therefore, to put our hope in you. Amen. So on the back of the notice sheet, you'll see that there are some points you can follow through as we go through the sermon. And you should also, I think, they, I don't know whether they're on the chairs or whether there's a pile of them at the back. But you've got uh, the verse for the year is not only at the front here, so you can read it um, uh, Sunday by Sunday, but also is on a uh, bit of card that you can take away uh, and you can put somewhere prominent uh, so that you will see it through the year uh, and read it and be reminded of it. Uh, we take a verse each year as our sort of verse for the year. That isn't to elevate it above other verses to say it's not saying it's more important than other verses but it's a useful thing to do I think to remind us sometimes year on year of key biblical truths or maybe to remind us of God's promises or as this year's one to remind us of God's promise but also a reminder to keep trusting the Lord 
day by day. And maybe particularly at the beginning of this new year, uh, I wasn't with you last Sunday at the beginning of the new year, but as we launch into 2023, it is good, isn't it, to put our hope in the Lord and remind one another and be reminded as we go through the year to keep putting our hope in the Lord. Now, we've got verses 30 and 31. It does make for quite a lot of words, doesn't it? They're a bit small on the, uh, there, but, uh, but readable. Uh, but it's important. Every bit of it is important. It starts, doesn't it, with uh, a reminder of our limitations. It says, even youths, oh, we could go that side. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. That is, those verses are saying, look, even those who we consider to be uh, the strongest... The young men, even they have limitations, don't they? Uh, the young, uh, we, who we consider to be strong, consider to be the most sort of likely to have endurance and strength. You think maybe of those who were nominated for Sports Personality of the Year, those young, sort of strong people, and yet even they run out of energy at some point, don't they? Even they have weights they can't lift or jars they can't open. <laughs> there are limits on us. And maybe at the beginning of 2023, you're more aware of your limitations. Maybe for some, you come into 2023 buzzing. You're excited about what comes this year. You've got plans, you've got exciting things coming up. That's great if you do. But maybe for others, you're more aware of your limitations. Maybe there are fears, maybe there are anxieties. Well, for any of us, this verse, particularly the bit that we focused on in the all-age slot, really is something for us to come back to, isn't it? To our hope in the Lord. Whether we're looking forward to this year, whether we're not, put your hope in the Lord for your family, for yourself, for your work maybe for school or college or university, for whatever it is, put your hope in the Lord. That's the instruction from the verse, isn't it? Now this morning we're going to go back to earlier in the chapter, which is why you need the chapter open in front of you. Because in Isaiah 40, Isaiah doesn't just give that command to put your hope in the Lord and the promise that goes with it. It's not given in isolation. It comes at the end of a chapter. And Isaiah gives us lots of good reasons for putting our hope in the Lord. How does Isaiah motivate us? How does he get us putting our hope in the Lord? Well, he does it by lifting our eyes to the Lord and telling us truths about the Lord. Why hope in the Lord? Well, because of who he is. And therefore, the vast majority of the chapter, as it was read, and thank you, Jean, for reading it and reading it so well, the vast majority of it is about who the Lord is. It's his characteristics, his attributes. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, and we're going to focus primarily on verses uh, 6 to 14, actually. Now, we're going to come back to this chapter in the verse for the year. We're going to come back to it at the beginning of each term. Uh, we'll come back to the chapter to pull out uh, different things and remind us for us as to why we should put our hope in the Lord and how we're to put our hope in the Lord. Because there's so much in this chapter and it will really benefit us as we go through the year to keep coming back to it and having this reminder to put our hope in the Lord. 
So for this morning, we look back to these verses, verses 6 to 14, and we're seeing why it is we should put our hope in the Lord. What is it about the Lord that means we should put our hope in him? And we're going to think about four truths from these uh, verses. Uh, And they are these, they're also on your sheet. Uh, Well, these are the headings. They are to do with God's word, God's arm, God's hand, and God's wisdom. Okay? Let's have a look at the first one. God's word. Now, for that, we go to verse 6, where a contrast is set set up. Would you have that open in front of you? So it's page 725. Uh, As you go through the chapter, it it focuses us on the Lord, and verse 6 is where it sort of really starts to focus on him and his characteristics. But it starts with a contrast, doesn't it? You've got the voice saying, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? Uh, And then verse 6, all people are like grass. All people are like grass. In what way are people like grass? Well, verse 7, the grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. That is saying we are like grass in that we are fragile. We are mortal. And that's true, isn't it? You may sometimes think of some people as being larger than life, of being more like trees with roots firmly planted. They seem very permanent, don't they? And yet, actually, we know that we are grass, don't we? That we are fragile, that we are mortal. And that sets up the contrast with verse 8. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of, the, of our God endures forever. Now, notice there that the contrast is not merely that God endures forever. Uh, And and it is true that the Lord is eternal. And we see that later on in the chapter, actually, that it talks about God as being the everlasting God. God is eternal, but that's not the contrast that at this point Isaiah is making. He's saying, no, people are like grass, but the word of the Lord, the word of our God endures forever. What does that mean? That the word of the Lord endures forever. It may be a truth that you've heard before. And it's sometimes with these truths we hear them and we think, oh yes, yes, I know about that. The word of the Lord endures forever. What does that mean? Well, a, a, a few things on that. It must mean God's word is eternally true. What God says about himself, about humanity, is capital T Truth. We have a strange view of truth uh, at the moment. Uh, you may have noticed um, in the uh, news about the, the leaking of things from Prince Harry's book. Uh, the, all kinds of things coming out there. I'm not going to get into the detail of that. Um, but it's interesting, isn't it, that after that, sometimes people will say, well, that's his truth. Have you heard that? People say that. That's, that's his truth. As if, you know, the rest of the royal family, they've got their truth, maybe. But that makes truth sound like it's a very subjective thing, isn't it? You've got your truth, I've got my truth. And maybe Isaiah 40, that's Isaiah's truth. But that's not the case, is it? If God's word is eternal, it must mean it is eternally true. It is not subjectively true. It is eternally and universally true. We're talking about truth with a capital T, God's word. But also that God's word is eternally relevant. The words people speak are are often relevant only for that moment, aren't they? Rishi Sunak saying he will deal with the problems in the NHS. 
Well, that's true for now, but that won't be relevant, say, in 10 years' time, 20 years' time, what he says. Not so with God's word. It is eternally relevant. Relevant for all people at all times. With truths and promises relevant for every generation, his word does not go out of date. They are not bound to be relevant only to a particular culture or people. No, God's word is relevant for you and me, just as much as when it was first written. God's word is eternal. It must be eternally true, eternally relevant, but also that God's promises always stand. They are trustworthy. God's promises don't wear out. When God makes a promise, it stands. The promise of the gospel is as true today as when Peter proclaimed it on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is true. It is trustworthy. It is reliable. So here is a reminder we need. People are like grass, but God's word is eternal. I wonder whether you've made any New Year's resolutions and whether any of them were to do with Bible reading. I hope for some that it was. I hope for many of us it was. Um, If you don't do daily Bible readings, I want to encourage you to do that. Maybe to think now, it doesn't matter that we're a couple couple of Sundays into the new year, but maybe to think for 2023, let's get into daily Bible reading. Maybe that's not been your habit, but uh, we want to encourage one another to do that because we need daily to be feeding on God's word. Well, um, uh, we've got here, I've got five copies of Time with God. This is um, a sort of sample of the Explore Bible reading notes. Each day you're given, uh, it has one page, and on it there's a a Bible passage to read, uh, some questions to help you think about it, and some information to help you think about that text and how to apply it. I've got five of these, uh, and we're giving them away today. So if on the door you would like a copy of this, if you're going to make use of it, just ask me for it. I want to get rid of them all. Um, So if you would like a copy, please ask for one on the door and I'll very, very happily give it to you. We need to commit, don't we, to reading and studying God's word because his word is eternal. And what a great reason to put our hope in the Lord if his word is eternal. Well, that's our first truth. Uh, the, The first one was about God's word. Second, about God's arm. And for this, have a look at verse 10. Verse 10, see the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. Now this verse very briefly hits upon the power and might of God. Something that he comes back to later in the chapter. We might well touch upon it later on in a future sermon. There may be many powers in the world. They can seem overwhelming, but the Lord's power is greater than them all. He rules with a mighty arm. But that is not all that is said of the arm of the Lord. It goes on. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. What's that saying? It's saying his arm is tender, isn't it? But he is gentle, like a shepherd picking up a lamb in his arms. It's a lovely little phrase that carries them close to his heart. There is a gentleness 
and a love to God. Now notice the contrast, not contrast, the, the, the two things that this pulls together. The might of God's arm and the tenderness of God's arm. The power and the love, which are both in the Lord. Wonderfully, the Lord's arm is both powerful and tender. And we need to know this, don't we? In order to put our hope in God. And yet often, I'm struck by how frequently we don't take these truths personally. Particularly the love of God. I think it's interesting. Uh, Sometimes when I've met with, spoken to people who've been Christians for many years, that the love of God can be kept at almost at arm's length. You ask them, you know, is God loving? Yes. Does God love Christians? Yes. Does God love you personally? And sometimes they hesitate. We hesitate, don't we? Is it me personally? Yes, the Lord loves you. Through Christ you are deeply loved if you're a follower of Jesus. There should be no hesitation. If you're trusting in Christ, God's love for you is beyond what you can grasp. He is tender towards you. So God's arm is both powerful and tender. Third is about the Lord's hand. Verse 12, have a look at this. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Now, Isaiah here is posing a whole load of questions, isn't he? Why is he asking them? Well, he's not expecting an answer to the questions. It's not a survey, is it? He's not saying, okay, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Anyone? You done it? No? Okay. Of course, that's not what he's asking. It's not a survey, nor is he actually telling us facts about the hand of the Lord. He's not giving us an anatomy lesson of the, the anatomy of God. Uh, the 39 Articles, which is the Anglican summary of biblical doctrines, begins, There is but one living and true God without body, parts or passions. God does not have a body and therefore in that sense doesn't have a hand that we're learning the measurements of. No, what is he communicating? Isaiah's giving us poetry, isn't he? But poetry with a point. Isaiah is getting across to us the vastness of God, the immensity of God. Isaiah covers the whole universe in what he says. They'll have a look again at verse 12. He, he talks about the waters, he talks about the heavens, the dust of the earth, the mountains and the hills. In other words, this is covering the whole of creation. And these are vast things, and yet Isaiah is saying God is bigger, isn't it? So when he says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? The vastness of the waters. If you imagine all the waters of the earth gathered together in the palm of God, I mean in the hollow of your hand. The hollow of your hand, like mine, you can't get a lot of water in there, can you? And yet, as I was saying, God, it's like God can get all the waters of the earth, all the waters of creation, all in the hollow of his hand. 
Or you think about when it says, with the breadth of his hand, he marks off the heavens. That is the entirety of the universe, which we have to measure. We have to come up with another way of measuring it in order to talk about the size of the universe. I don't know how it's been worked out, but people talk about the size of the universe. And so they sort of roughly reckon they can measure it. But we have to come up with a new scale, don't we? We have to talk about light years. That's how we measure such big scales. You don't use light years in normal everyday life, don't you? Your sat-nav doesn't say distances in light years. It would be just completely unworkable, wouldn't it? That's how we have to measure the universe. And according to a quick look on Google, uh, it is 28 billion light years across. And yet God says it's that big. It's the span of his hand. That's how he measures it. And so too, that's the point with putting the dust of the earth in a basket or weighing the mountains and the hills. The point is, they are big. God is bigger. Which should make us bow down in worship before our God, shouldn't it? He is beyond our imagining how great he is, how vast he is. Therefore, there is no one greater to put your hope in. And even so, when we even more so, when we consider the last of the four aspects, God's wisdom, verse thirteen and fourteen. Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counsellor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path? Of understanding. Well, more questions again, not a survey. Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord? The fathom, that is a measure of depth, isn't it? Of how deep water is. And it's saying, who can get to the depths of the spirit? Which in the context is talking about God's wisdom, isn't it? Who can get to the bottom of God's spirit, his wisdom? Who can fathom that? And the answer is no one. Which is interesting, isn't it? The previous verse, verse 12, has talked about things which could possibly be measured. Isn't it? I mean, like the width of the universe. You know, we kind of, maybe we've worked that one out, maybe. In theory, it's possible to weigh all the dust of the earth. If you could get it all together, uh, you could weigh it. And there must be a figure, there must be a figure for how much dust there is, what the weight would be. And the Lord does know what that weight is. But the wisdom of God is unfathomable. We cannot get to the bottom of it. It is beyond measure. And the Lord, it's wonderful, isn't it, this way of expressing it, he didn't need to learn from anyone else. No one had to teach the Lord wisdom. He didn't need to go to school to be taught because he has all the wisdom. His wisdom is uh, underived. Alec Matias, in his commentary on Isaiah 40, speaks about God's wisdom as being unbounded, unsurpassed and underived. So of course you and I should put our hope in him. I've been listening recently uh, to some of the Sherlock Holmes short stories 
Uh, they're good fun to listen to. There is a bit of a pattern at the beginning of them. You know what's going to happen. Someone's going to come to Holmes with, with a problem. And he does his, you know, deduction things right from the start where he knows, if you've seen the films, you know he does this, where, you know, he knows where the person has come from, what their situation is, you know, what their family situation is, and what the problem is before, before they've even spoken. And everyone's amazed. And they go, how did you know? And he says, ah, well, it's to do with the scuff on your shoe and the condition of your hat and all that kind of thing. And you go, oh, it's amazing, it's wonderful stuff. And yet it's rather predictable. But yet, within the stories, there is often a moment where people will go, where Holmes will say, well, that's not the solution, this is the solution, we should go about doing this. And yet people will go, no, 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 we shouldn't do that. You go, no, what are you talking about? Go with Holmes. Of course you should go with Holmes. He's always right in these stories. He has greater knowledge than others. The Lord God doesn't just have a higher level of knowledge. He doesn't merely deduce things from the way you look or the way you are. He has infinite knowledge. His knowledge is unbounded. So why wouldn't you put your hope in him? Why would you think, oh, the Lord says to do this. Well, I'm not going to do that. Of course we should put our hope in him. It is the most sensible thing to do. But as we do that, we should be aware, shouldn't we, that that does mean as we put our hope in the Lord that there will be times this year, for instance, when uh, he will do things in a way where we don't understand it, where we won't get it. We should expect that, shouldn't we? If his wisdom is beyond our wisdom, of course he will do things in a way that we don't get But to hope in the Lord is to say, but I will trust you anyway. Well, we've been uh, fairly quick on each of those four topics, but I hope you see why it is absolutely right to put your hope in the Lord this year and every year. Because his word is eternal, his arm is powerful and tender, his hand is as big as the universe and his wisdom cannot be measured all of which is staggering to our minds. And we can put it together with what we thought about over Christmas, actually, that Jesus, uh, born on earth, is God with us, which means uh, that all those things are true of Jesus as well as he walked around on earth. As it says in Colossians, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus. What is said of the Lord is true of Jesus. So Jesus' word is eternal. His arm is powerful and tender. He at the same time has a body and is also as vast as the universe, beyond the universe. And his wisdom is unlimited. Indeed, as it says later in Colossians, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Yet he came to this earth to give himself for us, as we're going to celebrate in communion in a few moments. So put your hope in him. Bring to him all your hopes and fears, all the things that excite you and frighten you about the coming year. Pray to him. Put your hope in him. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us uh, to put our hope in you. Father, those of us who are struggling to do so, lift our eyes more to you, to your greatness. Help us to take in all these truths about you and to put our hope in you because there is no one better, no one greater, no one more loving. Help us to trust you.
Amen.